Welcome back to the Jake as Well podcast. This week on the School of Unlearning, we are talking about a very serious conversation, this epidemic of contempt that seeps into our hearts, how it affects so many aspects of our relationships. So let's get started. Good morning. Good morning to you. How is Paul today? Paul is good. Paul's a mean himself coming and going a little bit. So I had a wonderful breakfast with our dear friend, Sam, who's been on our staff and Oh, we cool. literally Today? had breakfast and he then is driving south. He's moving down by Chicago. And so that was wonderful and good and early morning. And then I've got meetings today. So my mind's a little crazy, but good. You, you know, seem you seem reflective. Right I now. am reflective. I'm, I guess I'm asking myself, how is Paul? Paul's good. Uh, Paul is aware that Paul may be trying to do too many things right now. So, hmm. and I'm referring to myself in the third person. So. That is really nice and is should that, continue for I the duration. So. That's right. No, it's, it's Paul is not happy. Paul would like his table <laughs> at two o'clock. You know, it's good that you brought up um, um, Sam. You know, I think this might be kind of helpful. I always think one thing that's kind of cool about the podcast is yeah. sometimes it gives an opportunity yep. for people to see behind the curtain a yes. bit and be like, well, how, uh, what is that place actually like? And there's quite a few staff members here. And yep. we're also kind of at a church size is something we've discussed where, yeah. where you anticipate some people coming for yep. seasons yep. Yep. and then moving on to another opportunity. And so that's kind of what's going on with Sam. And we're super excited for him. Yeah. Sam, you ch- he listens to our podcast. So we love you. We're going to miss you. If you're wondering who Sam is, Sam is the guy who was dressed as the evil, crazy professor in the bumper last week. <laughs> the and Sultan he had, Light. The Sultan Light, yes. So he is that guy and just a wonderful guy. And it was just a great, you know, kind of talking, where you at, what are you doing? And um, just what's it been like for you to be here? And uh, I think he would say he's a better person for having been part of our church staff. And that's always good to be here. So. That's awesome. It's, yeah. it's always an interesting feeling because it's bittersweet. At the yes. same time, like, especially for Sam, he's excited. Yes, and we and are so, excited for him. Yeah, so it's kind of a fun, like, hey, man. Go get after it. This is That's great. <laughs> Send them out. So I'm good. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm wishing it was about 10 degrees warmer. Oh yeah. Yes. Because, uh, we're, we're coming from winter, man. It is. Well, I think we're, 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 we're in limbo. Yeah. March is a weird month. Yes. Because it's not cold enough to enjoy being outside because mm-hmm. it's wet and muddy and wet and it, and wet cold is colder than cold, cold. Do I have to explain that? That makes sense. No, that makes sense. All right, good. And so there's that. And then um, just ready to hear the melting and the lakes opening and just smell the earth. I want to smell some earth. There was three days this week. This is not normal for me. Three days this week where I did not wear a winter coat. Yeah, me including too. including didn't, today. I didn't. Think and I, that to me, even though mm-hmm. there's still snow and there's snow in the stupid forecast, yes, <laughs> which is so depressing. Yes. Um. But but despite that, it's like okay, hey, you know, it's we're gonna win this. We're gonna win this. And yes. and and little by little, I mean, you start hearing the birds. Yes. Louder, and it's like okay, it's coming. Yes. It's, I think. Yes. I want, I want to accept things as they are. I do not want to hold winter in contempt. Wow. Segway of the year. Boy, (laughs) because I like winter, Um, but I do have winter in contempt a little bit. You know, it's easy to love winter uh, in, in December. Yes. Oh, we would, I'm looking outside my window right now. It is beautiful. In fact, it was snowing the other day, and I said to Wendy, yep, it sure is beautiful. And she went, never, never, never. yes. <laughs> and then we said pretty much, yeah, in December, this would have been a wonderful moment. But now it's just kind of feels like Narnia, forever winter, never Christmas kind of thing. Mm. We just have to, like, beat a witch or something. Yes. <laughs> just find that lady and kill her so we can get, <laughs> no, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> 
anybody who hasn't read Narnia is like, yes. what? That's not nearly <laughs> as disturbing as it seems. Or I guess, I don't know. Well, let's follow your really great yes. segue. It and was beautiful. Contempt. Yes. Well, and, and I want to follow this because I was just telling you before we started, I really enjoyed this and yeah. this, this specific sermon. And to say why, I mean, I've been here on staff for like seven years. Sometime previous to that, you did a series that I've heard about multiple yep. times from you and from other people saying yep. like, hey, there was this contempt series right. and it was really powerful. And I've always thought, well, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Never heard it. And so, um, one thing I, re- I was saying as I, that I was appreciating is like, oh, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting some of the gist and some of the nutshell and some of the, like the, the energy of that series. And I can also tell, cause I'm, I'm, I've been with you long enough right. that you're, that you're planting seeds for what you're going to keep bringing up yes. throughout the rest of the series. And so I'm excited to see how you, how this is all tying into yes. the rest of the Sermon yes. on the Mount. You know, what's ironic today so I just realized it just as you were saying. So I was, so I was going to point out that I'm coming up on 35 years of being a pastor today. Wow. March 8th was the day I started as a pastor in my very first well, pastoral Well, congratulations. So 35 years. I did, did One not of these realize buttons that is until, clapping, but I don't know I, what it is. I, yes. Wah, wah. That's not That's it, not but it. there you go. <laughs> all right. So I just realized that at this moment. Um, but in all my years of being a pastor, I'm at the age now I can say that, um, I've never taught on anything that had more long-term transformation, stick with people, changing lives than when I teach on contempt. And and so Mm -hmm. I did the series twice. And um, so probably did the first one 12 years ago. Um, But it was when I came to the Sermon on the Mount, and and then I did a study of anger. I have an interesting history myself with anger. So I was a very angry kid. I would get in fights. I'd beat kids up. I was an angry dude, angry kid. And I remember... Um, coming to Christ, um, I was very near my dad and him just doing a deep healing where I just was released from that. And then um, uh, also uh, just forgave my dad and a really spiritual kind of thing. Got married. It was not an issue. And then I had kids hmm. and kids brought out anger in me, frustration, probably because they tapped into my core insecurities. I had insecurities about my father and being a father and I like to be in control and kids will humble you in the area of being in control. Mm. Uh, and I felt a level of vulnerability that, I, that something happened to these children. It would hurt me in a way that I can't even begin to understand. Mm-hmm. So it made you feel very um, afraid and um, fear and anger are friends who walk hand in hand. They're buddies. Uh, they come together. Um, and so uh, anger became an issue again in my life. And so, um, and then I went through a season where, you know, you've all heard me talk about my burnout season, my really bad one. And um, one of the hallmarks of that area time was anger. That I was just, I was angry all the time. And I started reading about pastoral anger, where that comes from. And, um, you know, there's just multiple things. So doing this study on anger and then reflecting on my own life and taking steps in my own life led me to that passage in Sermon on the Mount we looked at this week about, um, about contempt. And two really important things happen. One is, um, you know, part of it that I'd been through seminary and I understood how to start interpreting the Sermon on the Mount as the kind of literature that it is. We want to read the Sermon on the Mount as collections of sayings Jesus gives or a list of rules. And, and that makes the Sermon on the Mount somewhere between oppressively impossible and nonsense. So it just, it becomes a passage of scripture that the best we feel like we can do with it is some kind of sentimental notion. Sure. Um, but what is going on there is wisdom literature. So that the whole idea of saying, okay, what is the principle that is supposed to sink into my heart and 
such a way that it changes how I look at the world. And that's the way you're supposed to use wisdom literature. That's an interesting observation. I've mentioned multiple times, I really enjoy the Bible Project podcast and I've learned a lot from them. And one of the things that they talk about is, is is a perspective a lot of people approach the Bible with period mm-hmm. is as this, this handbook for life. Yes, yes. Right. So you, yeah. you were kind of just talking about the, these rules that if you could just say, okay, don't do this, do this, this leads to happiness. Right. And it's a misread of yes. what so many of these uh, genres are meant to be. Yes. It, it's actually much more profound than that. In some respects, much more demanding and certainly much more difficult mm. because if it's just a list of rules, two things happen. One, it, it gives us an artificial sense of clarity that we think we know what to do, but it also uh, allows us to find all the loopholes. That if we have a rule, then as long as I don't technically break the rule, okay, then I can, I'm, I'm okay. And it fills us with an artificial sense of righteous and self-righteousness. And when you add religion to that, well, then you have all kinds of opportunity for judgment and, and terrible things like that. So so this idea that, like, for instance, the, the, the passage on contempt or anger um, begins with, you have heard it say, do not commit murder. Well, that's a rule. All right, great. And I, I've managed to avoid that so far, you know, there's well done, sir, you know, so, and that's the whole point, right? It's that as long as I don't do that, right. You know, and, and one of the big things about rules as opposed to principles, and this is such a pivotal point for formation and uh, emotional well-being, psychological well-being and true change is that rules are outside of ourselves. They are, they are things that we do because something outside of ourselves has said, you can't do it. It's on cold stone. It's 10 commandments. Principles sink on the inside. Mm. Um, it, to really embrace a principle, it changes forever the way you look at things, the way you feel things, the way you respond, because principles will change you. Rules, you can follow rules and not want to follow rules, not love the rules. Um, and actually they can do, like I say, a lot of spiritual harm to you because they can fill you with an artificial sense of self-righteousness. So I haven't murdered. So not only does that put me on a spirit plane, but now I have a group I get to look down on, mm. which we're going to see is actually the opposite of what that passage is actually trying to teach us. Um, and so Jesus, of course, comes in the Sermon on the Mount and he starts with the Beatitudes um, saying, this is the blessed life. This is the best life. This is the wise life. And then he starts talking about principles, attitudes of the heart, perspectives about living that seem so very countercultural. Um, that have to do with an inward sense of well-being that allows us to respond differently with things like meekness and peacemaking and turning the other cheek and all those kinds of things. So he 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 basically starts his sermon by saying, I'm going to tell you the smart way, the best way, the blessed way to live, the light way that you really want to leave. And he warns, you'll be mocked, you'll be persecuted for this, okay? Um, but when that happens, you should rejoice because... Um, it's an indication that you're living counter to the spirit of this age. So he starts with that. Then he goes into this passage about salt and light, which again, I think is a lot of our heart passion, even in this podcast, that this is what it really means to influence the world. This is what the world is longing to see people who live by a Jesus ethic, Mm. not people who will slap a bumper sticker on, will do a Facebook post, will clarify what they think or what their position is or what their beliefs are, what their creeds are. Again, all of that is outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. but people who have totally internalized, not totally, but more and more internalizing the message and the ethic of Jesus in such a way that, you know, okay, these people really do live differently. They love right. in the face of hate. They serve the least of these. These are people who, and that's what makes salt and light. Their walk matches, yes, yes. matches their words, yes. matches the talk. And Jesus could not be clear about this. He said, he said, um, you're salt of the earth, you're light of the world. 
that men might see your good works, mm. not hear your declarations, read your posts, know what you stand for. Because mm. people think that's bold. That's, again, outside of yourself, fills it with a sense of self-righteousness, unearned righteousness. Righteousness ultimately has to be seen in what we do and how we treat people, you know, so they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So the pathway that that is so desperate right now, particularly, because we, we are just completely opposite on this right now, we feel like to be bold for Jesus is take stands on issues rather than to love boldly and do boldly and live boldly um, people should be able to see what we believe by how we live. That, and that is the essence of wisdom literature. Wisdom for the biblical authors, and this is from, from front to, to end, is grounded in how we live, not what we think. It's not an issue of ideation. It's an issue of ethic. It's an issue of, of, of doing the right kinds of things because of what we believe. Um, so a companion piece to the Sermon on the Mount, I, I was going to mention the Sermon Sunday, but I... I had already too much stuff. So, so um, a companion piece to the Sermon on the Mount is the book of James. Uh, and this is why so many people struggle with the book of James who are really into like the Apostle Paul and Grace by Faith. Because you read James, it just sounds like James is, is advocating works for salvation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But all James is doing is giving commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So, so there is not one issue that James brings up in his, in his epistle um, that uh, is not deeply covered in the Sermon on the Mount. Every single one of them. And, and some of it is almost quotes. And so what James is actually trying to say, James, half-brother of Jesus, you know, historically, uh, the evidence to believe that and all that. Yeah, um, that he, connection is very interesting it, in regards to the point you're making. Right. So you come back to say what he's trying to do to Paul, with Paul, is saying, yeah, yeah, Paul, two thumbs up, but don't don't let anybody read Paul in such a way where it becomes just exactly what we've done. This mm-hmm. ideating, I profess faith, I prayed the prayer, and now I'm a Christian. A Christian is a person who follows Jesus, who is an apprentice of Jesus, like right. Dallas Willard said. I was just, again, talking to Sam this morning. I recommended a book, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's um, The Cost of Discipleship. If you mm-hmm. haven't read Cost of Discipleship, um, <laughs> it'll ruin your life, but go ahead and read it, because <laughs> this this Lutheran during World War II, that period of time, um, writes a deep, deep, love letter about, you know, um, cheap grace, grace mm. that doesn't cost us anything, grace that doesn't change us, grace that doesn't transform us. And, um, it's just incredibly powerful. Anyway, so, so he goes, well, I'm go glad, you, I'm glad you brought this up because we, for anyone, you know, you go back to last week's, uh, podcast, if you want to hear more conversation about kind of this interesting, we were talking about how Paul, the yes. apostle Paul kind of brings it into this very kind of Greek mindset, yes. you know, something that's very familiar to us. There's a reason that a lot of people gravitate towards his letters, but I, I really think that that, that connection of James's letter being so connected to the Sermon on the Mount, I just find it fascinating because yes. it's almost like as the half brother of Jesus, he wanted to, yes. like you were just trying to, to bring out, he wanted to, to re-elevate yep, and, yep. and to make sure that, that this almost this Hebraic way of thinking was brought back into the conversation. And, and you nailed it. It's a Hebraic way of thinking. And so for James, I think it's less of a, a, a disagreeing with Paul as much as or a contrarian view of Paul. It's much more of a compliment. And, and, mm. and so that also just, you know, bonus information is how we should read James too. If you don't read James as wisdom literature, mm. James is wisdom literature. That is his approach. That is his understanding. If you read it like you read Paul, you're going to come up with a harsh, edged, 
rule-based. He uses right. tons of absolute language. He uses tons of telling behavior. Um, if you if you read James in that kind of way, I mean, you're going to just, I mean, you're going to be mean, I mean, <laughs> and unhappy and frustrated mm. um, if you keep it on the level of law, which again is outside of yourself. But if it becomes the kind of inward kind of thing, Man, it changes who you are. This isn't fair because I did not give you a heads up. All right. Now I'm just fat. This is the nerd in me. Come on. So we, we're, we're, I mean, as far as like the major letters, right? So we've also got Peter and we've also got John. Yes. I'm assuming you'd probably put first, second, and third John more in the wisdom a- absolutely, category. Absolutely. Where would you put Peter? Uh, a compliment. So, I mean, there's actually a lot of debate. I actually do believe that um, Peter was written under the influence of Peter, whether or not he actually wrote mm. the words. Um, I definitely believe that attributing Peter, but there's actually a lot of scholars who want to put Peter much later because Peter clearly is much more a, this is how the church should work. This is how family should work. It reads more like Paul and less like wisdom literature. That's why some people question whether or not Peter would have thought that way and done that way and written that way. So, um, Hmm. so I would probably, I'd put it more in between, but actually I'd put first and second Peter more towards uh, a Pauline approach in terms of makes sense. But first John certain, I mean, yeah, they just don't make sense. I mean, they're just. Or revelation. It doesn't really make sense outside of that. (laughs) That's a whole different kind of genre, but exactly that kind of thing. But there is wisdom literature in that. This idea that, that, um, I mean, we're just so, we don't realize how Western we are and how governed we are by Aristotle and, and linear logic and which is great and has all kinds of advantages. And it really helps when we're reading Paul, but, um, but it really, makes us struggle with things like poetry and lament and wisdom literature and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So it's, so that's, that just makes the new Testament so interesting and so much more fun (laughs) and hard. Yeah. Because so, so the very next thing he does after salt and light is this little bizarre little thing on law and just wonder, okay, why did he throw that in? So he basically says, now do not think that I've come to do away with the law, which is how some people want to read the apostle Paul. They want to read the apostle Paul in such a way that Paul says, you know, um, the law was a schoolmaster and now I have under the law of Christ right. and they want to read, okay, well, old Testament doesn't matter. Nothing valuable there. Jesus came and totally changed that. Jesus never came and said, I came to do, in fact, he explicitly said, I did not come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. I came to show how to make everything that the law was trying to do in hearts and minds real. And that's by the coming of the Holy spirit teaching the way of Jesus, the principles of Jesus, putting it in our hearts. So it's the prophecies, the glorious prophecies in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where he says, a time is coming, this says the Lord, when I will take the law that was written on stone, that was outside of people again. Okay, so these were these were people who didn't want the law or love the law, even though they were mm-hmm. told to love the law. Um, but it was rules they were trying to follow that they didn't want to follow. He said, I'm going to change it where the laws will be written on your heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. And, and no longer will a man need to teach his brother to know the Lord. We'll all know the Lord. Mm. No longer will a person need to teach right or wrong because we'll do the right things. And so Jesus is, is, is referring, he said, so this is the age where that promise is being fulfilled. The spirit will be given, you know, it's that part of salvation that we don't talk about enough regeneration. So regeneration Mm. is that aspect of, of salvation where we're actually being transformed to be good people from good things naturally flow. Um, and it, it's that, that, that complete salvation. I'm not just positionally saved to go to heaven someday, but actually saved. That is to say, I'm becoming a, a person who the fruits of salvation define who I am and how I think and how I live. It changes me that he, Jesus wants to save us so much more thoroughly than we are prepared mm-hmm. to understand. 
Um, so we are no longer bad people trying to keep good rules. That is a miserable way to live. It's full of dissonance and conflict and frustration and futility. We are actually being transformed to good people, good things. So that's why Jesus is using illustrations of the storehouse. He says, from the good things stored up inside, the person brings forth good things. And so the picture is a person who owns a store who's been buying good things to sell. And then when someone comes, they, they, set, they bring, I keep bringing cool things out of their storehouse. This is Jesus' way of saying mm-hmm. that you should be being changed from the inside out. And later we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount, there's all kinds of warnings about superficially doing religious things to be seen on the outside while inside you're not changed. So he says, you know, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in public. When you give to the needy, don't make, do it with trumpets. You know, when you fast, don't, you know, don't let everybody know about it so that you appear to be one thing, but inside you are something very different, which of course then reaches its culmination in Matthew with the woes of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Mm. The heart of their issue is hypocrisy. Those whitewashed tombs that inside they're dying bones, but outside they look so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So he's basically saying to the law that the, the, what I'm trying to do is fulfill it. I'm trying to move the law and basically on a principle level into your heart. So this is not a whole list of rules. This is, instead of having a, a rule about murder, I want you to have the heart kind of heart that would never hold people in the kind of contempt that would ultimately lead to murder. Mm-hmm. Say, so I'm going to get way in front of it. Now, again, one of the things this does is it slows us down. It requires us to deeply understand what this principle means, what the implications are, and then what does it look like in my life in general? And then what does it look like in my life specifically? That's the nature of wisdom literature. It, 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 you can't do this quickly. It, it also removes all the loopholes because you might, again, technically not murder, but every part of your heart is full of murder and hatred and contempt. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, in order to kind of try to shake people out of what they know, because the hardest person to teach is the person who thinks they already know. I mean, teachability is really hard to teach. Mm-hmm. And so he has a group of people who feel like we've heard the law forever. We know the rules. We know the path to righteousness. Let's follow the rules. The best example of that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's why when Jesus was talking about the law, he says, and unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you won't enter the kingdom of God. So he's Mm -hmm. basically calling them out and saying, that's not it. External Mm rule-based, you know, you know, pull your bootstraps up, do hard things just for the sake of hard things. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, there's something else I'm talking about. And then he goes into this dialogue with these six different um, you know, theologians call them pericopes, but little sections that all have the same formula. And again, we want to kind of take these and make these rules, but what you really have are examples there, examples of the kind of change on a heart level that needs to take place. And the formula that he uses is this thing where he says, you have heard it said, but I say, you have heard it said, but I say, and he does that six times in six different issues that really the people would have been already like, I know, I know all about this. He said, but I, I, you know, and, and, and unlike the religious leaders who would have said, well, we, we think this about this moral issue because this teacher said it and Moses said it, and they would quote people. Jesus said, you've heard other people say, I'm not standing on any of their authority. This is what I say. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, and the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. He didn't appeal to someone else's authority. And so you have this, this incredible picture of, of Jesus kind of um, 
requiring us to slow down and say, wow, okay, um, the standard looks really hard. Now, again, the temptation for us is to say, well, Jesus is just making the rule more difficult. That is a complete misunderstanding of the point. Um, um, what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, when this moves to the heart, it, it changes you in a fundamental way. And, 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 and this is the thing that actually pushes sin out of our life. When, when we're changed from the inside out, where we actually look at things different, feel things, we, we want different things. We don't want the sin anymore. Okay, so he starts the first one, and the one we looked at yesterday seems to be about murder or anger, but it's about something deeper. It's about a condition of the heart that um, for years we've called contempt. So he starts by saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. And immediately we all feel pretty good about that, except for the occasional murderer out there, <laughs> where, where we say, oh, that's a rule I've kept. So it's all kinds of opportunity for self-righteousness and relief and judgment. Uh, by the way, at the center center middle of the Sermon on the Mount is that the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, particularly among secular people, judge not lest you be judged. Mm -hmm. You must understand that verse in reference to the contempt verse because contempt gives us permission to judge. So what Jesus is teaching against is anytime we, we embrace a kind of view of righteousness that makes us look down on someone else, that's what he's forbidding. So, um, so you've got this, this, you know, um, you've heard it say, don't commit murder. He says, but I say, and then he says some of the most crazy things. He says, if anyone is angry with his brother is liable to judgment from, um, the law courts. And if anybody calls his brother a fool, okay. So, so, so what you see here is a deepening of anger to an attitude, ultimately to contempt. He says, you're in danger of being called to the Sanhedrin, which is like being called to the Supreme court. So you're not only going to be called to a lower law court, you're going to be called to a high court. He's saying, this is as serious as it gets. And, and then he goes on and says, and if anyone calls his brother Raka, which is, it was, which is, um, was one of their acceptable curse words. Mm -hmm. So it basically is, is what we say to someone in traffic when they cut us off, whatever your version of that is. Um, but on a heart level where now I have said to you, you are worthless. You are a waste of skin. You are a, a-hole, you are whatever, a-hole, that's not bad. Can I say that? I just did. So, so whatever it is, um, um, like you don't say it, podcast listener. Oh, anyway, so, so the point is. Um, <laughs> They're not surprised, Don't you judge Paul. me. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, so uh, um, um, that's why I don't have a dash cam, because I don't want anyone to, I don't want to be on accidentally. No, not really. Anyway, so the point is, um, um, what you have is a progression of experience where someone has made you angry and, and so, so much of healthy emotional life is managing negative emotion. We've talked a lot about that in the lament series. So negative emotion is everything like anger or fear or disappointment or frustration or boredom or loneliness. How do you manage negative emotion? Well, anger is a negative emotion and, and you can read it again. If you make this a rule, all right, Jesus has just made a rule. I can never be angry. Well, that's sure. one, not possible. And it's an external thing. And it's, and it's, this is why some people hate this from the monk. Cause they say, I just read, it, I feel like a jerk. I feel horrible. I don't, I can't keep any of those rules. At one point, Jesus said, I'm supposed to be perfect. I mean, what, what is this? And so, so, so Jesus is not saying, don't be angry. There's clear verses where he's angry. He's turning over tables in Mark chapter four. It actually mm -hmm. says he burned with anger. 
Um, the anger of the Lord is a really clearly defined thing. The question in the, is, the, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do verse, not sin. All that kind which of is stuff. is interesting. The assumption <laughs> is. And so what do you do with anger? Well, you go to lament, you express it, you say it, you do those kinds of things, but you do not internalize it in such a way that you direct it then towards the person where it starts doing that work where you are dehumanizing the person. So at first you're angry with them, okay? And then you start chewing on it, mulling it over, gnawing on it, creating narrative around it. You start creating, looking for evidence to reinforce the narrative that you're telling. You're, you're writing meaning into things that are exaggerated. You are taking selective information. You are remembering the conversation in an imprecise way where mm -hmm. they're they're angrier and their tone was worse and all the things we do that, that then begins to justify. And so a, a third friend that comes with anger and fear is pride. Okay. Both the pride that, that expresses itself in shaming ourselves or defending ourselves. And so we create the anger. And then, so pretty soon it goes from they did this, this was wrong. This was a hurtful thing. And rather than going to them and talking to them, this is by the way, one of the reasons that the, the verse that, um, 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 we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks is that if your brother has something against you, go to them because sitting down, looking at someone in the room, humanizes them again. Mm -hmm. It makes you realize, oh, this is not, I thought I was dealing with the devil. I'm actually dealing with someone I love, someone I care about. And so, so, mm. so and that line is awful easy to cross. Oh mine. Oh man. So, so easy. Even and, with the people closest yes, and yes. probably most often with the yes, people closest. So that's exactly right. Um, well, because the people who are closest with us have the ability to hurt us the most because mm -hmm. we actually care about what they think. And we actually care about them and the levels of betrayal. That's why the psalmists say, you know, um, it's a Psalm. I'm trying to remember which one. It might be chapter two, uh, Psalm two or four, where he's talking about um, betrayal. It's a Psalm on betrayal. And he says, um, it was all terrible. They all betrayed me, but this is what hurt. It was you one who called a friend and it's a tour to Jesus with Judas uh, later in the new Testament, mm -hmm. but it's this idea of this deep hurt. Okay. So I have this, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to handle it? What's the principle of Jesus in this? And so you know, here in a couple of weeks, we're going to get to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, start with the log in your own eye. That's when it starts getting really um, costly. Mm -hmm. Now, again, if this is just a rule, well then I can just deny the anger or I can just not murder them. As long as I don't murder them, I guess I'm good. Um, but then I start doing all kinds of really creepy things. I start, um, again, telling myself stories or I find a sympathetic voice, mm -hmm. someone who I'm just going to, I'm going to tell the story from my perspective without any accountability. That's why Matthew, again, the gospel of Matthew 18 says, you know, if, if your brother sins against you or if your brother has something against you, go to him just between the two of you. And then if you can't reconcile it, bring someone to establish the facts, not to be on your side or their side, but someone who's mature who can come say, you know, Paul, you're saying this, but I don't, I don't hear him saying this. I hear him mm -hmm. saying this, it's, you know, someone who will, who will hold our feet to the fire. And then we start practicing dialogues of when we're going to tell them off in our, in our heart and our head. And, and I am always so articulate in those conversations <laughs> and they are so appropriately shamed by my, my incredible ability to, to just put them in their place. And, and I just start chewing it. And then I've moved from, they did this thing and it was bad to the place where they're bad. Mm -hmm. They're a fool. They're an idiot. They're a bad person. And now I'm dehumanizing them. Okay. And then it just, it, it continues to grow in that way in such a way where I'm getting, you know, echo chamber information. I'm feeding myself. I'm transferring other pain where I'm recognizing this person reject me. And that really hurt. Well, because my father rejected me or some other thing, or 
my family, this is how my family handles conflict. And I've never analyzed how my family, this is what all the work people are doing in emotionally healthy relationships. They're looking at what's my pattern for managing negative emotion and how do I do that relationally? I talked to one guy the other day, he was talking about some really healthy things he was doing out of an emotionally healthy relationship. And at the end of it, he says, yeah, I was learning about my family. Turns out just sitting down being angry and having a beer isn't a way I handle it. <laughs> well, you're from Wisconsin. So <laughs> what? <laughs> or and I said, or 12 beers. He said, what? Yeah, well, yeah. So I mean, so so this is the point is that that see how much more demanding this is than just a rule. Yeah. When it becomes a principle. And also I I've always thought just and this is a kind of a simple takeaway, but the fact that Jesus took these things, like you said, that could have been so outside of us, oh, it's, that's just murderers. Right. Oh, that's just adulterers. Right. And he brings it down to a point where we're, you're lying to yourself yes. if you try to say this isn't you. Yes. There's not a single one of us who can say that we haven't felt Absolutely. these ways. Absolutely. And, and it brings it to the core of our humanity. Well, it's the truth that sets us free. Hmm. Um, I mean, I was just, again, talking with someone the other day about truth. There's a line from the, the show Ted Lasso. Um, I've enjoyed Ted Lasso. I give you warnings. There's a lot of swearing and a lot of things that aren't great in Ted Lasso, but there's a lot of intelligence and cool stuff in Ted Lasso. But there's a therapist in this show who, who one of her sayings is, I guess I'm going to say this because she said it. Anyway, she said, um, the truth will set you free, um, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> mm. um, and and um, I thought that was very profound, obviously salty language, but um, but the truth will set you free. Oh my. <laughs> but it will it will make you mad first and then it will terrify you. Okay, because here, here's the thing that contempt does, and this is, this is the essence of being mentally unhealthy. It moves you out of line with reality. It actually causes you to tell a story to yourself that is not, at first it's imprecise, and then it's just completely off. Mm. I mean, where you're just, you're, saying, you're believing things about the person that is just, you know, exaggerated, out of control, just not clear. And, and then you start telling yourself, and, and here's the thing, it doesn't stay contained to that relationship. Once your perspective gets skewed by contempt, you mm -hmm. start looking at other people, other issues, other people who are, you start writing motives and suspicion into other people's, I mean, you become that paranoid, angry, mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the way to conspiracy theories. And we all have baby conspiracy theories we tell about yeah. our own life. Mm -hmm. That's when it grows to the point of Raqqa, where we say, Raka basically is worthless, disgusting, less than human. This is where we dehumanize people. Now, when we dehumanize people, it opens up the door for us to do all kinds of horrible things, mm -hmm. all kinds of horrible things. We can lie about the person. We can misrepresent the person. We can attack their reputation. We get other people to gang up against them. It's the, it's the classic mean girl thing. You know, guys punch it out, but girls will get the, the classroom against you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the scary kind of, cruelty and we'll justify it. We'll enjoy it. We will, we will. And, and because they deserve it, right? I mean, they deserve it, right? There's a, there's a thing in the office where it's kind of a profound moment. There's all kinds of profound moments in that, that the show, the office, but it was a time where they keep, they were showing all kinds of tricks that Jim had played on Drew mm -hmm. and, and Dwight. And it's funny. And, but at the end of the, the bit, you know, he, he kind of goes, well, well, you look them all like that. It kind of doesn't look as funny, but but he, he deserves it, right? right? He deserves it. And it kind of turns the whole thing on its ear that we all enjoyed watching Dwight because they make J Dwight such a wonderful person to not like and like yeah. that you want him to get it. And, and that, that you even see this in literature that, that um, it's actually hard to write good literature without a foil, 
Lefoyle is the bad guy who at the end gets it. And we all enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And it's actually fun, interesting to see like how you redeem a foil in literature. So like in order to redeem a foil in the literature, you know what the trick is? Create a worse foil. Mm. So the foil in Star Wars is Darth Vader, but they want to redeem Darth Vader. So what do they have to do? They have to create an emperor. Right. Now the emperor deserves what he gets and we can redeem Darth Vader, who of course is a genocidal, murdering, horrible who at the end felt bad for Luke and, you know, so, so all is forgiven. <laughs> it really you is. You get to have a force ghost. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so again, we think through. He said, sorry. He said, sorry. So, so you're good, uh, Anakin. So, <laughs> um, never mind those. So many people you killed mercilessly. Anyway. So, so the ethics of that are, dubious at best. They, and, and the thing about that kind of a character is you have to kill him in the story mm. because if you don't kill him, then people are going to ask that question. Okay. Well, he's repented. Is there going to be a trial or anything? Right. Um, that's why they had to kill in the last star Wars movie. Um, what was the, the new Darth Vader's grandson who was the oh, bad yeah. guy then became a good Kylo guy. Ren. He had to die. He had just done too many bad things that they could not actually redeem him. Uh, even though, of course, they had to bring the emperor back because that's the really bad guy. So, yeah. so, so this is and and when we start recognizing this on a principal that level, movie's not a mess. It, oh yeah, <laughs> well ethically, we're not a movie podcast. No, but, but I just yeah, <laughs> I'm the guy who thinks about what's going on in movies, and that's and people hate me for that for in the movies. No, we love you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I was about to talk about my new favorite movie that I introduced you to, but I won't. Spoiler, I won't let anybody know. We'll keep it for a future episode. Anyway, the point is, which is actually, that, that movie's all about contempt. Anyway, so 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 the point is this. Wait, where'd that rabbit go? Oh, uh, yeah, there's, the, there's the path. It's all over. <laughs> we are out there, folks. So so the, the, here's the thing with contempt. When you start seeing it, you start seeing it in literature, in movies, and how, how like, this is why it's hard to do a, any kind of a story, a book, a movie without contempt, without some kind of a foil, because that's what creates the energy. That's what creates the drive. Mm. You start realizing how much my life is driven by contempt. How much is it a reaction yeah. to that? There's something in us that loves it. It, it really, is. really enjoys it's it. It's powerful. It's focusing. And and it's related to pride um, because it makes us self-righteous. So, I mean, I, I think it's always been the human condition. But right now, it just feels like for the last decade, but right now, last couple of election cycles, particularly, we are just drowning and dripping in contempt mm-hmm. that, that this idea of, okay, I am a Democrat or I'm a Republican. Okay. So it used to be that the other side was the loyal, loyal opposition. That mm-hmm. is to say they opposed us, we had ideas, but we came together, we worked. Now they're evil people. They're bad people. They're, they're, they're yeah. terrible people. And so we are justified at lying about them and bullying them and calling them names, making a nickname for every one of them and, and all those things. And, and that is what's selling right now. That is what, I mean, and so people of goodwill who want to have honest conversations, who want to learn from each other, who want to do any kind of compromise, oh, yeah. which is the way of Jesus. I mean, there's the, the phrase about those that were willing to, to cross the aisle to yes. get something done, Yes, but now they've been so- Oh, they're rhinos, uh, they're uh, traitors. Victimized yes. by their own parties. And yes. we're talking about both sides. So it doesn't matter who's in charge because you end up with, um, everybody's trying to pass bills exclusively yes. with their party. Yes. And if you don't have the numbers, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And so you have that. You have um, just different categories. You know, if you're on the coasts, you're a liberal wacko. 
if you're in the center of the country, you're a flyover hick. I mean, we, we, you have to create parodies. You have to create, um, um, sure. exaggerations. You have to, um, the other, the other. And that's, mm-hmm. that's exactly the thing. That's exactly the thing. And this is what, this is why it's not an accident that he starts with this because this, this understanding of Raka and the dehumanizing of a person informs everything else he's going to say in the Sermon on the Mount. So the next, so this week, Ryan's teaching on lust. Lust is an issue of contempt. So lust is the thing that says, okay, you're an object I can use. I have dehumanized you to the point that I can have a hookup, that I can use you, I can take you. And if, it, if, if contempt is deep enough, I can physically rape you. I can use you. I can use you as a slave. I can use you in pornography. I can use you. And then the next week is about divorce. Divorce is an issue of contempt. And then he starts getting into the things about turning the other cheek, which is, it, we think it's about violence and it, it's related to violence, but it's not about violence. It's about respect. So in the, in the, in to this day in the Middle East, um, it's a law order, law, 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 honor code, um, uh, um, uh, an honor shame code rather. So the worst thing you can do to a man is not physically hurt him. It's to shame him or to embarrass him or to disrespect him. So to slap someone was basically disrespecting them. So Jesus was saying, if someone disrespects you, and our response is, oh, hell no, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he says, turn the other cheek. And it's his way of saying, don't take up offense. I mean, we, we live in a, a culture right now that is valuing being outraged, mm-hmm. that is valuing being I'm obsessed about this and I'm uh, upset about this. And why are you not angry about, just angry all the time about things, a lot of things we can't do anything about. And, and, and so whoever can tell the best story in their documentary about why this group, we should be upset about this, you know, they're, they're the ones who, I don't know. I mean, and so we're, and we're exhausting ourselves and we're burning ourselves up. The other thing about, um, contempt is it's like a drug at first it's energizing, it's focusing, it makes us feel powerful. It makes us feel justified. It makes us feel self-righteous. It gives us unearned merit of righteousness because mm-hmm. we haven't done anything mm-hmm. and, and makes us very judgmental, but it also burns us up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also, I mean, it's like any drug. Eventually it starts making us sick and twisted and um, burnt out. Um, that's just the nature of it. So, you know, he go, he, he, he says, you know, um, so anyone, and listen to what he says here. He, he could not have used stronger language. You know, you get angry, you're in danger of law court. You know, you get, you get the point where you start attributing dehumanizing language like you're a fool. You should go to the Supreme Court. It's that serious. Mm-hmm. But if you call a brother a rock, that it that now it's this uncontrolled outburst of just a visceral, you know, from the mouth, the, the heart speaks, you're a fool. When you degrade a person that point, says you are in danger of the fires of hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, basically what he's saying is you're creating a hell on earth for yourself and everyone else around you. And if you keep on this track, you not only will just do such horrible things to other people in the, in the, the fact that you've given yourself permission to, to dehumanize them, that this is the thing we don't understand about dehumanizing people. Every time we dehumanize another person, we dehumanize ourselves. We degrade ourselves. We take away our humanity. We make ourselves small and petty and horrible. We, we become a, a, a person we have no, it destroys creativity it destroys uh, empathy. It, cre- it The best parts of your humanity are destroyed by contempt. And so to let this just go out of control in our life leads us to the point where what we become is something that the only thing fit for us is hell. I mean, it's, it's C.S. Lewis' comment that no one will go to hell who doesn't 
belong there and who mm-hmm. doesn't choose to go there. And he doesn't meant that, you know, at the end of our life, you want to go to hell or hell, we'll say, I'll right. choose hell. He's saying the choices we make, make us what we ultimately will belong. And some people, well, is that works for salvation? It's not works for salvation. It's your belief informing how you live. And the current theology we have that separates our belief from our behavior is, is creating a, a world of Pharisees, a world of whitewashed tombs, a world of people who do, are not grappling with, okay, what does it look like? I am angry with this person. What's the Jesus way of dealing with it? where I don't degrade them. And, and it might be, I'm going to go to them. I'm going to forgive them. It might be, I'm going to get some perspective. It might be that they're not a safe person. So I'm going to put a healthy boundary in them. And there's a kind of love in that too. We're going to get to the part where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because all of this relational intelligence we're talking about are pearls we're giving people. He says, don't throw them to people who are swine because they will trample on them and then they will turn and devour you. So there is a kind of person who will use this Jesus goodwill against us. He said, you don't have to become a victim to that. That's another sermon another day. But, but, and again, now that it's a principle, it is so much harder to think about, but so much more powerful to think about how it could change us. So this thing of contempt could not be huge, more, more big. But by the way, every crime, big and little, towards each other is born in contempt. We have to dehumanize a person and say, Okay, I, I'm okay stealing with this person from this person. I'm okay using this person. I'm okay lying with this person. I'm okay putting this person in a category. All racism is a form of contempt. All sexism, genocide is a form of contempt. I mean, you I mean if you, you ever look at the propaganda that they had to create to make the Holocaust happen in World War II, mm-hmm. you, basically, you had to call Jews rats. You had, to, you had to just do the most horrible, horrible thing that's, even to repeat what they said is, is horrifying but a constant stream of that so that people would be so desensitized that yep. we're not only doing something that's okay, we're doing something that's a benefit to humanity. Right. Getting rid of you will make everything better. I'm doing God's work. And then if you had religion on the backside of that, then you're doing holy wars and crusades and witch hunts. I mean, you know, and, and again, the contempt is, is the absolute opposite of the theology we talked about in Colossians, that every person is created in the image of God. I mean, and, and this is true of the worst murderer. It's true of child abusers. It's true of, 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 mm-hmm. of everybody that, that, that we are not allowed to put anybody in the category of Raqqa. Um, and, and, and what does it look like? And, and again, I'm not saying those people should just be forgiven and live and let live and not saying any of that, but I'm saying there's a response in love, a response in, because love is always the response. There's a response in, in health and emotional that, that, that gives them a chance to have their humanity redeemed and, you know, um, opens up the door to relationship and, and protects our own souls, protects our own. Cause I mean, I mean, when we did the first contempt, the way I taught the first contempt series, we, it was called the contempt. I, I had a contempt box, I had this big chest on, and I just took, kept taking out names of people we put in our contempt of, right? You know? husband, wife, parents, Democrat, Republican, you know, homosexual, mm-hmm. you know, um, all the different sins and things. You know, whoever you put in the, and the point was, whoever you put in the contempt box, you make it impossible to love that person. Mm-hmm. You cannot hold a person in contempt and love them. You just can't. And so um, in terms of active, proactive love. So, so it's hard, whenever I teach on contempt, it's hard for me to contain just how important this is. 
and just how we need to regularly ruthlessly look at our heart, particularly when we've been hurt or when we're tired and saying, who am I holding in contempt right now? Okay. Who am I, you know, and, and who am I enslaving myself? I'm, I'm letting the, you know, the old saying, I'm letting them rent space in my head. You know, I'm, I'm using some of my best energy in this anger towards them, you know? Uh, and then who are the peddlers of contempt? I mean, again, it's news, it's movies, it's culture. It's, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times it's the comedians we laugh at. Um, it, how does it sneak up? It's sarcasm. It's making fun of people. It's, um, it's, it's an insidious little thing, but once you, for me, and I think for a lot of people who have heard the contempt teaching, a lot of people actually came during that time it was interesting because at that time there were a couple other churches in town that were going through a crisis. And so there were people who had been really hurt in churches and they rolled in here and I was teaching on contempt and, and they were hurt deeply. And so they were starting to create narratives of mm-hmm. these people and they did that. And they were kind of ignoring the other thing contempt does is it teaches us to ignore our culpability. Mm-hmm. Right? So if I, if you've done something and I'm angry and I've created a narrative where I hold you in contempt, I'm completely focused on what you've done. Mm-hmm. That's why the teaching, you know, start with the log in your own. I make your thing the big thing so that you can see clearly to help your brother with the speck in his eye. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so again, when you see contempt, you see how all of the Sermon on the Mount starts holding all together and it, it transforms it. And then it becomes, for me, it, it becomes the kind of person I want to be. I want to aspire to not be that angry guy. I want to conspire not to be a person who would degrade another person's humanity, that I truly would love the least of these. When we hear Jesus say, love the least of these, we tend to think, you know, the poor, the marginalized, really nice people who've had a bad break. Sure. What he actually is talking about there is the worst sinner who deserves what they get. He -hmm. says, those are the least of these, the people who actually don't deserve a second chance, the people who actually, you know, we put in the category of beneath us, Mm -hmm. you know, that, I mean, so even the whole idea that when I was in prison, you visited me, we think, well, those must be innocent people in prison. It doesn't say that. Mm. Actually, the other is, is, is pretty clearly understood that, you know, these are people who have made choices that, you know, they need mercy. So blessed are the merciful. Mm. Why? Because they'll receive mercy. I mean, all of a sudden the whole Sermon on the Mount becomes this glorious, wonderful ethic that says, that's who I want to be. That's the kind of person I want to be. So I'm really... Grateful. And I'm glad that uh, for this podcast in particular, I'm glad that we began with you kind of giving some context of why this matters to you and kind of the the personal connection. Cause I think, um, I don't know, I'm really enjoying this conversation because it takes anger, contempt, uh, from kind of like a list of, of things that could be wrong. And, and it starts to make, it starts to show and reveal that it's actually deeply rooted. It, It, um, and, yeah, it's, it's just, it's fascinating. And I kind of think that, uh, God has revealed this to you and mm-hmm. some extra, you know, just some extra insights that because of how personal this is. And, and yeah. that's been, that's just been really fascinating to listen to and, and see like, Oh, nope, this is more connected than I would have guessed. Well, and it's changed my relationship to anger. Um, so that now, um, so, so this doesn't mean anger is not part of your life. Now what I do, one, as I feel anger quickly, I recognize it for what it is. I'm angry. Okay. Why am I angry? And, and for me, like one of the things is, um, I get angry when I'm tired. So like when I've been going too long and I need a break and need a week off or I need a, that, I, why did that annoy me? Why did that make me mad? Cause I'm tired. Okay. All right. That's a, an old pattern that I'm falling back into that, um, 
because, you know, one of the reasons, so why do, why do you get angry when you get tired? Well, because you need energy. And if you grew up in an mm-hmm. environment where you got things done through energy, you got yelled at, so things happened. So you fall back to that. So, so that's, indicated. and then other things, like I was listening to a podcast yesterday, it was making me angry because it was about education, about kids not being able to read and that's just not okay. And, and so what am I going to do with that? So when you recognize this, is what I'm feeling, processing, you're feeling, okay, what's the, what's the response in love? Okay. Um, and just the wisdom of managing anger, keeping short accounts on anger. So anger, I, I don't, I don't, I just haven't gotten overwhelmed with anger in a long, long time. And so, so I mean, it'll happen tomorrow. Cause I mentioned I, it, it doesn't <laughs> happen. So anyway, so, so, um, so, uh, you know, um, just thinking about, you know, where the anger's from processing it, um, calling it out, um, and just all the admonitions of the scriptures in your anger, do not sin, you know, um, everything about lament in terms of this, God, this really made me angry. Um, healthy relationships. My best friends are the friends I can tell them they made me angry. And, you know, when you said that, it was not okay. And, um, you know, or, or, or I can tell a friend this made me angry or um, I have a friend who I can call and say, uh, Whitney made me angry and I'll talk to her about it, but I just need to say it. And, yep, I'm not going to, he doesn't affirm or deny it. He just says, acknowledged. Okay. Yeah. It's outside of you now. So now you can see it objectively, things like that. Yep. Now um, you can breathe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, which again, people want to make a rule, you know, mm. because there's some angers that you're not going to be able to just be done with by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That, that So that again, it's proverbial wisdom literature. So basically it's saying, deal with your wisdom, anger quickly. Don't let it fester because it grows to contempt. So um, again, and doesn't it just feel like wisdom? Yeah. I mean, doesn't it just feel like, well, yeah, that is the blessed way to live. Blessed are happy, smart, intelligent. It goes right back to the Beatitudes. This is the best way to live. So, um, yeah, so that's that's contempt. Cool. That's a packed conversation. You want to pray us out? I do. Father, I thank you uh, that um, you are a God that even the Bible speaks about your anger, um, and yet your anger um, expressed itself ultimately in love. That is to say, you sent your son while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, while we were still not safe. And Jesus, you didn't just teach us a better way. Everything you said in the Sermon on the Mount, you lived. You lived in how you treated people and how you redeemed and how you forgave, even how you lovingly reached out to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the, the foils in the gospel. You seek to even love and welcome them back in. Father, make us like that. Ultimately, we see the ultimate expression of rejecting contempt by you dying on the cross. When you prayed for me and for us, um, Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. Father, give us that kind of heart. We want to be those kinds of people. I pray for anybody who's um, hearing this podcast or the message this weekend, and they're a little undone with it because they realize that they're deeply invested in contempt and anger right now, and they have gotten to that point where they are embittered. They have got rock in their heart. I just pray you give them the courage to acknowledge that, confess it, and let you start healing and teaching them to let that go. Um, help them to rehumanize whoever they have given themselves permission not to love and not to um, see as someone creating your image. We love you and thank you for this struggle and thank you for the freedom in your son, or it's in his name we pray. 